0: You're listening to the Teens Need Grace podcast, where youth pastor Evan Magelson equips parents with how to apply the gospel to raising teenagers. We take time to answer your questions, interview the experts, and hopefully give you a laugh along the way. Here's Pastor Evan.
1: All right, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Teens Need Grace. I am super excited to have a guest speaker with us today. Drew Hill is a pastor in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the author of Alongside Loving Teenagers with the Gospel, which is the winner of the 2019 Christian Book Award, no big deal. Uh, He provides resources for thousands of youth leaders around the world through the Young
0: Life Leader blog. Drew, welcome to the show. It's an honor. Evan, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here and chat with you about teenagers and sharing the gospel with them. Yeah, man. Um,
1: we 're just super pumped to start this and and provide a resource to just equip parents and love on them and all that fun stuff um so every interview interviewee I guess that i that I talk with, I always have to ask them what kind of teenager they were uh growing up and some sort of maybe fun or embarrassing story that you would be willing uh to share because teenagers are just fun. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I was probably an unusual teenager compared to uh, most teenagers out there. I was a very strict rule follower, and uh, and I started following Jesus when I was young. But for me, following Jesus looked a lot like following the rules all the time, and so much so that when I was in eighth grade, I was at summer camp, and then I got called into youth ministry as a thirteen-year-old at camp. I came back from camp, nice. went in front of my five thousand-member church, and they like laid hands on me, commissioned me to go into full-time vocational youth ministry as a 13-year-old so i actually left my private christian school and went as a missionary to the public high school the next year nice and uh and it was great except the the problem was i carried a lot of judgmental pride um with okay. me i had a bible verse stitched on the back of my letter jacket philippians 4:13 because i think paul was talking about running cross country when he said obviously hey, paul, mm-hmm. yes right? And, uh, you know, I mean, I was praying around the flagpole every Friday and president of Fellowship of Christian Athletes and doing all the right things, but really living in a lot of secret sin mm. and and really living in a lot of judgment towards other people. And there was an organization called Young Life that was reaching out to a lot of kids at my school that I didn't think were really Christian kids, you know, and I'm like, how's this Christian club reaching out to all these you know, potheads and you know, and, and <laughs> right. I was like, why well, is it a Christian club and they're not hanging out with me? All these college students are like hanging out with these losers. And uh, <laughs> and in my my youth pastor gave a talk on um Luke 15 and the the lost parables. And right. during the talk is when I my heart really broke for the lost, and I realized, mm-hmm. oh, that's what the young life leaders are doing. But before that. I had written a letter to the Young Life director, and I told her that she was sending kids to hell with her watered-down gospel. (gasps) And, uh, yeah, later she became my boss when I went on Young Life staff after college, um, which was quite hilarious because she had kept the letter. But that's quite a picture of me as a (laughs) Now that I remember, I actually –
1: I read – you shared that in your book, didn't you, that story of – I did, yes. Yes. (laughs)
0: yes. uh, I think I had –
1: I think I had the same reaction of just like, that's, that's bold. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was a
0: bold kid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so I want to jump into, you know, the whole subject for us talking today is just loving teens where they're at and, um, and how parents can just love their teens where they're at. And so why do you think the gospel is so crucial when it comes to parenting our teens?
0: You know, when I, when I read the Bible, I, I see a lot of brokenness, and um, and when I meet with parents, I see a lot of the same brokenness, and often in Scripture, you know, it's the brokenness that makes people run to Jesus. You know, it, the, the friends are carrying the paralytic to Jesus because they have tried everything else, and nothing else has worked. And often that's how it is with, with our own kids is we feel like they are emotionally paralyzed by hmm. the anxiety and the stress and the fear they fear they feel as they're, you know, being raised in this culture. And really the gospel is we have no other hope. Right. Except to carry our kids face to face with Jesus. And, and, and it's not willpower. It's not self-help books. You know, it's, it's not even parenting books. It's Jesus. He is the only one who can be their healer. And that's what we've got to keep telling parents is we do have hope in Christ, but not in our own efforts without him.
1: Right. Totally. I think one of the things that we've been talking about in our youth group quite a bit too, and that I've been trying to share with parents is the gospel is not something that you start and end with. It's something that you are constantly, you're turning over every rock and looking behind every tree and, and basking in that, in that glory and using that. Yeah. And basking in his gospel and using that to continue to, to parent and to love on and, and not something that grows old and stale that sits on the shelf, but it's something that we use and every single day, um, mm-hmm. and live through. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, it,
0: so what kind of, so do you have kids in your household? We do. We have um, a 10-year-old daughter who is about to turn 11 and she's pre-teening a lot right now. And right. I, mean, I tell folks that um, I only was brave enough to write a book about parenting teenagers because I'd never done it. I felt like if I had <laughs> parenting teenagers, I would have lost all credibility. But I know it's going to be really hard, but our oldest daughter, her name is Honey. Like uh-huh. food, and uh, she is sweet as could be and she loves the Lord, but she is in this stage now where she is entering this preteen years. And you know, we sat on the couch this week together because she was sad that she didn't know a lot of the songs that mm. her friends at school know. Mm. And, uh, and she wanted to, to know the songs. And so she wanted me to like, play them. And I was like, I'm not going to play them for you unless you'll sit down with me and us listen to what they're singing about and us talk about them. And so we listened through the kids bop songs and we look, we pulled up the lyrics, you know, on Google and sure. we read them together and talked about some of like the messy and hard things that, you know, Lizzo and these other folks are singing about. Right. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm on the very front end of, of this. My wife and I have two younger kids. Um, our son Hutch is seven and our other daughter, Macy Hart is five. And we, um, we thankfully Natalie and I are in this together, but we're really committed to learning alongside our of our kids and and so honey honey knows that she's kind of a guinea pig because her dad's like this supposed teenage expert guy who (laughs) never raised a teenager and she's going to be the first one so she gives me a hard time about it I was shopping with her this past week and uh and I was like honey I cannot figure out your style you know like we were in this (laughs) store called once upon a child it's like a used clothing store um like one step up from goodwill but still like you know secondhand clothes and I was like, I can't pin down your style. What kind of style are you? And she, and she said this to me. She said, dad, just um, think three years older than I am. And that's my style. And I was like, oh, thanks. I,
1: okay. uh, 11 going on 30, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's yes. hilarious. Yeah. So, so it is funny because I get that a lot. I don't get it probably as much as you do because I've only been working with teens for about 10 years or so. But I mean, I've never raised a teenager, and yet I'm a youth pastor, and I should know teens. I mean, so what do you think? What do you think has helped you um, grow in the sense of just like learning about teens? And I mean, you, I mean, kind of give us your, I don't know, teen resume, yeah. <laughs> if you will.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. You know, I think one of the mistakes that parents make is they assume that their teenagers are just like they were when they were teenagers 20, right. 30 years ago. And um, it is really different to grow up in 2020 than it was to grow up in the 90s or the 80s or whenever you grew up. And kids today are facing anxiety and stress and pressures that, sure, we faced it when we were teenagers on a on a lesser level, but... You know, when I wrote a, a note to a girl to ask her if she liked me, she would check yes, no, or maybe. But now, yes. like the, every every offer that you put out there on social media is viewed by the world and you can tell right away whether someone likes it or not. And you know how popular you are and how valuable you are, and how many people comment and like on you and that pressure is just so heavy. So I, I think it's really important for parents to understand that, yes, there are a lot of the same things that happened to us when we were teenagers. But the reality is our kids are facing stress and anxiety that we really did not face when we were that young.
1: One of the things that you write in your book that I absolutely like, um, it's in your, I think it's in your introduction. You say in First Thessalonians 2, chapter 7 through 8, the Apostle Paul gives a compelling example. Um, just as a nurse, nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Can you walk through why um, we as parents and youth workers, why sharing our lives is just crucial when it comes to teens?
0: Yeah, you know, when you know somebody cares about you, um, you really listen to them in a different way. My math teacher in high school, you know, had this little plaque on our desk that said this saying that many of us have heard you know no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care right and I think a lot of times we feel like our kids are manipulating us like we're just a taxi driver or an ATM (laughs) but I, I think they can feel a lot of the the same things like they feel like we just treat them as this product that we are trying to put out you know and if they're not meeting our standards and if they're not behaving correctly and if they're not performing like they should then then maybe they're not loved as much and so i think more than anything like we can't just communicate our rules and our expectations and our demands to our kids we've got to communicate our care to them and really the best way to do that is how god did it what did Hmm. god do he put on skin and he moved into our world he became one of us and his embodied presence changed the way that humanity understood God when they saw Jesus. John one 14, God put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's what we've been really in, invited into with our kids. You know, there's a real difference in, did you get your room clean? Did you get, what kind of grade did you get on that paper? I logged into the parent portal and I saw your grades and your failing. There's a real difference in that. And Hey, let's take a walk together. I'd love to hear just how you're doing today. You know, when, when that happens and those walls are broken down and kids really believe that we want to be with them, then their hearts start to crack open and truth can fall in.
1: Why do you think it's easy or our natural inclination is to just, hey, I looked at the parent portal and, you know, what, what's the deal instead of maybe being more inclined to say, hey, let's go grab Sonic or let's go on a walk.
0: Oh, it's way more time consuming and it's way more difficult. You know, I mean, I I spoke at a marriage retreat this weekend and um, I did an exercise with the couples and had them like talk to one another. And for many of them, it was really difficult. And Mm. they, you know, we, we don't know how to listen well to one another. My wife and I go to marriage counseling pretty regularly and we sit on a couch and our counselor gives us these questions to, to ask and reflect towards one another. And basically we pay her 75 bucks an hour so we can talk to one another. And my wife has (laughs) her master's in counseling and I have a a MDiv and I took a ton of counseling classes and yet we still need help in learning how to talk to one another. But there's very few people that are helping coach us and how we talk to our kids. And hardly anybody is helping coach our kids and how they communicate. You know, at church um, yesterday we had a new gal visit and a lot of the high school kids just sat, on the couch when the new girl walked in and um, mm-hmm. and I was like hey y'all come and meet this new girl stand up and then they walked over and they just stood there I was like all right talk to her, and I said, I talk to her. today I was eating lunch with a mom of one of those girls and the mom said that she um, you know we were talking about parenting and I was trying to help her and her husband and the mom said to me she said um, these these girls actually ask me afterwards if I could help them learn how to have conversations with people they don't know. Mm. And, I, and I think in much the same way, like we have got to be committed to learning how to have conversations with our kids. And it's not going to come easy. It's going to be like learning to play an instrument. It's going to be tough at first. But when we learn to play, it's going to be so fun.
1: Mm, right. What do you think are the biggest differences in communication between like a kid and even a preteen to a, to a 16 year old?
0: Um, You know, I think a a 16 year old is going to tell you, I I don't want to talk to you and I don't want to be with you. And they're, they're going to say that with their lips and they're probably going to believe that at the time. But I think they really do want their heart to be pursued. And where, where's a 11 year old or a preteen, you know, they, they're going to want to be with you. You know, they're, they're going to say, yeah, I, I want you to come with me. Both of them want it. One of them doesn't realize they want it. And so because of that, we have to like give them these expected rhythms of of interaction with them. You know, when they know that every Sunday night I have to take a walk with my mom or dad, then it doesn't become you know as dreaded anymore. It becomes kind of like mm. brushing their teeth. It's something that they do and is normative for them. Um, but so often we're just so busy that we miss one another, and so our conversations with them feel like rude interruptions mm. instead of something they can look forward to and expect. Mm.
1: I have some really practical questions, but before I dive into those, I really just want to hear kind of the heart um, behind your book, alongside and and can you kind of explain it a little bit for those who haven't read it yet, or you know all that jazz?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I feel like a lot of our parenting books that are out there are books that and give us these seven steps towards like successful relationships with your kids, and uh, and they're a lot a lot of self help stuff. But really like the the best way for us to learn how to have these conversations, the best way for us to learn how to get at our kids' heart is to really look at Jesus. And so in alongside every chapter, and there's 30 short ones that you can read in about five minutes each, yeah. but in each of them, there's a passage of scripture that looks at Jesus and looks at how Jesus interacted with people. And the questions um, that, that the, the one main question that I answer in the book is what did Jesus do outside of the miracle? And we see a lot of miracles that Jesus does in Scripture. And often we're focused on the fact that he fed the 5,000 or that he healed this person. But he did a lot of things that are kind of in the subtext or that are written in the text that we often don't pay attention to. Yes, he healed the woman who had been bleeding forever. But what else did he do? It says he, he listened to her whole story. Hmm. And so the book really is a walk through the life of Jesus and his interaction with people and learning how to learn from Christ how we can have an embodied presence, and listen and pay attention to and speak with grace to our kids
1: mm. yeah that's so it's it's so good to remember to to realize and to remind ourselves of because I think um even with my own teenagers we're walking through a sermon series that we've called beloved and i've and, and 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 all it is is talking about god's love and I have a lot of kids that go to a Christian school or they've been in the church for a while, and I have kids coming up to us and they go. You know we know this right? <laughs> yeah. you know we you know've we've, we've heard this, and we know about God's love, and the question that I always ask them is, yeah, you know it, but man, do you live it? you know yeah. do you, do, you, do you embody it with every decision and every choice and every thought when you get up and you're brushing your teeth? I mean, and everything? And I think the same I think it's almost kind of like the what you said earlier, where it just it takes more time it takes more effort almost to be gospel centered to 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 parent our kids with the gospel instead of using these seven tips or this formula because a formula looks really good it's like oh man if i follow this i'm guaranteed yeah. like like this a plus you know honor society student <laughs> yeah and um and and i love that your book never says that it's just like look this is the the story of jesus and how it applies
0: to to our kids. Um, and really the only way to to show kids our, our vulnerability, you know, as right. as Jesus modeled for us is with that embodied presence. But the way the world is, is now working is we don't have to go to the store to get food. We don't mm. have to, you know, like, because we can get it delivered to our door with Uber Eats. Right. You know, and we can, we don't have to walk in the grocery store. We can do online pickup and we don't have to go to the movie theater. We can watch the movies in our home. We don't ever have to leave our house. And so, Because of that, we are going to have to fight extra hard to actually have embodied presence with people. Mm. You know, and, and social media like feels like, oh, I have a lot of friends, but it's a mirage. You know, like there's there's a lot of difference in going on a hike with somebody in the woods for a day and, you know, texting back and forth or messaging over social media. I mean, the word media itself actually means between something mm. has come between us. And mm. so we're, we're going to have to work hard to break through the barrier of that screen and actually show up in each other's lives. And in order to do that, I mean, it's really going to require the hard work of planning. Well, you know, one of the things that my family has started doing since we read the Techwise family by Andy Crouch is we are doing one hour a day, one day a week and one week a year screen free. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's difficult, you know, the, um, We did last year, we did two weeks screen free and we have another one coming up over our spring break where we're going to a cabin without Wi-Fi and without cell phone service and we're just going to be together. And it is is not easy at first and it's really hard to unplug, but we live in a world where if I don't go there, then I'm going to be really distracted. And we've got to create those rhythms and those rhythms of Sabbath in our life so that we Hmm. can be face to face with one another.
1: Yeah, we live in a very we live in a super busy culture. Um, it's, it's even just moving from the Midwest to Denver. It, um, it has amazed me how many things our teens are a part of or connected with or doing. And, um, it's, it's, it's insane. What do you kind of going back to your Sabbath idea? What are some, what are some practical things that parents and families can do to really just take some time Um, to spend with each other and enjoy sabbath together
0: well i think the key is with teenagers especially giving them heads up Mm. if you spring it on them then they're not going to want to do it (laughs) but if you give them a runway and then if you give them ownership and then they will actually dive in with you but they've got to have some buy-in from the beginning so when you say hey this year for spring break we're going on a we're going to a cabin in the woods where there's no Wi-Fi and we're not going to have any screens. They're going to freak out and they're going to have a really bad attitude while they're there. But if you cast a vision for them of like, Hey, you know how busy we've been lately and how like your dad's always been on the phone and how he's not been able to sit down at dinner with us much. We, we miss y'all and we really mm-hmm. want to be with you. And so what do y'all think we could do as a family? Like where's a place we could go to like get away where we wouldn't be distracted. Your dad would not be distracted by work. I wouldn't be distracted by Facebook where we could like go and like look at one another. And remember how we used to play board games when y'all were little kids. What if we did that together? Like what do y'all think would be fun for us to do to get away and and be able to look at one another and then write down some ideas together, you know, when do y'all think we should do it? Mm -hmm. You know, give, give them some ownership in it. And you know, maybe they'll be like, I don't want to do that at all. Well, let's talk about maybe why you don't, you know, and how that feels uncomfortable because it is kind of like learning to walk again. Cause we've learned to walk with a limp Mm. and now it's kind of like, we're having to break our leg and learn to write walk correctly. And so that is going to be painful. But what we really want is intimacy and depth of understanding and knowing one another. And so in order to do that, that's going to take some time. Imagine one day like with your family, you know when your kids are saying i don't want to spend any time with you imagine how that might feel hmm. and just know like i really want to know you
1: hmm. yeah yeah that's so important uh in your book at the end of every chapter you give um just some really wonderful pieces of practical advice to to parents to youth workers and to guardians were there any um that you'd be willing to share that are kind of your favorite that stick out to you that you really try and and give to parents or or anything like that
0: Yeah, you know, I I think one of the hardest parts of parenting teenagers is feeling alone. And, you know, just like the paralyzed person being carried to the feet of Jesus, it often feels like we're kind of carrying our kids who are paralyzed to Jesus, but we're just holding up one corner of the mat. Mm. And, you know, maybe we've got a spouse that's holding up the other corner, but I imagine a lot of the folks listening today maybe feel like single parents, even if they're not single parents, or maybe they are single parents. And, you know, a lot of us feel alone in this parenting thing. And so the number one encouragement that I really try to give parents is to create a personal board of directors for your kids because they need more than just you to help carry them to the feet of Jesus. There's got to be a team of folks. And I've had multiple kids say to me, Drew, you're the only adult friend that I've ever had. Mm. And most of these kids don't know what it looks like to have an adult friend. And so I just, I would pray And I would ask the Lord, who has he put in your life? Maybe it's aunts and uncles, maybe it's coaches, teachers, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders. You know, who is in your life that could come alongside you and carry your friends or your kids to Jesus with you because you need it. You cannot do it alone.
1: Yeah. I just went to a youth conference where they talked about the importance of you should always consider having a five to one ratio per teen. Like every teen should have at least four to five different adults that are investing in them that go up to them and say, Hey, how was that math final that you had last week? Or, Hey, yeah. you know, like I heard you just got dumped by your girlfriend. Like right. let's, let's man, you need, you need a sonic blast right now. Let's go and, yeah. and chat about that and stuff. Um, I think, I think too, just in the culture that we're in, because we live in a pull yourself by your bootstraps. I've got this, I can do this. Um, do you, do you feel like, do you feel like parents are in this realm where they feel like it's all on me? I have to do this because I also see too there's this line of like they almost treat like youth ministry like the dry cleaners. If I drop my kid off at the at youth group then they're
0: <laughs> yeah then
1: then they're good, you know what I mean yeah and, and then I pick them up and they're clean um yeah
0: I th- <laughs> yeah I think the um the reality is um that social media has caused us to live in this world of. Um, comparison in a lot greater way than we ever have before. And we look and we see like other kids taking lessons in four different instruments and playing Mm -hmm. all these travel sports and making these grades and getting these scholarships. And we feel pressure of like, that's what I've got to do with my kid. And so, whereas we used to live in a culture where we raised our kids together and we all kind of pitched in in a neighborhood and all helped out as a f- extended family now we live in more silos and it mm. feels more like a competition of like i've got to carry my kid myself and i think to get over that the only way to do it is is really to admit that that's where you are and then ask some other people to carry your kid with you and and part of that is humility and that it's hard to say i can't do it alone um, but we really need the the full team effort and yeah like it it is easy for parents to drop their kids off at youth group and think, all right, well, this is the dry cleaners where they're getting clean. But the reality is like, that's not going to do a hill of beans of a difference. If what they're hearing on a Sunday night is different from what they're seeing lived out day by day. And so that's a lot of pressure on parents. They feel like, well, I I don't have the time to lead them in family devotions. And I feel so much shame and, Mm. you know, by the guilt that I'm carrying from how I'm living my own life. And I'm not, I'm not living a life that I want them to live. And so because of that shame that, a lot of adults live in, it's like they're stuck and paralyzed themselves and they feel like they can't carry their kids. And so the first thing that we've got to do before we can carry our kids to the feet of Jesus is we've got to realize that we only can love because he first loved us. we got to realize that, that Christ himself has carried us to the cross and that he has died for us and that he has given us life and that his spirit actually lives in us. And we don't have to turn on the lamp of our lives. Like he is the light that lives inside of us. And we have everything that it takes because we have Christ and he is our hope. And until Mm. we're convinced of that, everything else is just going to feel like behavioral management.
1: Oh yeah, that's true. I actually wanted to ask you um, a little bit about that. What do you think is the difference between a parent that is parenting for just behavior and a parent? And what does it look like when a parent is, um parenting um a teen's heart does that make sense
0: oh absolutely you know um the be- the best way that i could describe it is do do you- how do you want people to treat you you know when you mess up do you want to someone to call out all of your faults and to say that you're not good enough you know the the greatest parenting lessons that i've received lately is learning how to manage people that work for me and, uh, and I can go and I can watch them perform and I can point out all the things they did wrong and how they can do it better. And they're going to walk away feeling heavier and defeated and not good enough. And nobody wants to feel that way and nobody feel, can perform underneath the weight of that. But if I can encourage them and call out where I see God working in them and where I see them growing, right. then it's like I get to open the door of a cage and watch a bird fly out free. Right. And so it really comes down to what are we pointing out in kids? Are we pointing out their failures? Hmm. Are we pointing out where we see Christ in them? And when we start pointing that out in them, then we start seeing it in ourselves and we give ourselves the grace that we so long to be able to show our kids.
1: Yeah. I had a parent who, um, asked me or basically said, I, Evan, I just feel so, um, so inadequate, um, to raise my teenager. I feel really shamed and and, and I feel like I have to be this perfect parent and, and all these things. And one of the things I told them was, man, your, your son does not need a perfect parent. They need an authentic (laughs) parent, someone who's willing to, to get down into the trenches and, Show them where they've messed up and where they've failed and and how Christ has helped them uh, through those times and I think um, a lot of parents are almost scared um, yeah. to to share some of that because they feel like they have to be they have to be that perfect parent well if if my teen or my daughter or my son sees that i've that I have messed up then i'm going to lose credibility but i think and correct me if i'm wrong I think teenagers are yearning for that kind of um, authentic, real, um, relationships.
0: Oh man, the best thing we can do is we can just show kids our sin. Right. I mean, if a parent asked a kid uh, and gave them permission and say, Hey son or daughter, I want you to know you have permission to identify the sin in my life that I have a hard time seeing. Mm. Like at first kids would be like, wait, what? (laughs) And then you say it again, you know, a lot of times I have a hard time seeing my own failures, but you see me, you know, in my worst state. And so I'd love to give you the permission to point out things in my life that, that maybe I'm not seeing. And that's a hard question to ask. And at first, it might make us feel more defeated. But really, like, when we see our sin, that's when the cross looks even more beautiful. Because mm-hmm. that's when we know we need Jesus, when we can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And so the best way to show kids the gospel and to show kids the grace of the gospel is to show them our sin and our need for Christ. And so when they see us on our knees, confessing our sin to the Lord and repenting, and when they see us asking them for forgiveness, what we're doing for them is we're modeling the gospel that we right. desperately need.
1: exactly. Followers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the best way to, to, to know how to spill our guts out to people and love on people is by seeing it, um, right. seeing it portrayed by it our parents and by those other people that are, that are mentoring us and and loving on us all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you, let's say you have a parent who's just, who just comes up to you and says, man, I just feel super inadequate. Like I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a MDiv. I don't have a, you know, whatever. I've, I've been going to church my whole life. How do I, how do I help my teenager to fall in love with the gospel every day?
0: You know, I would say by taking one step, you know, the the guys who carried that paralyzed guy to Jesus started with one guy saying, Hey, Jesus is in town. Let's take our friend today. But then they had to get it, find a stretcher and put him on it. And then they had to start walking and then they got stuck by the crowd, you know, and a lot of times we get stuck by the noise of the crowd and they could have stopped It's too crowded. We got to go back. But they took a step and climbed up on the roof and then they're like, how are we getting him down there? And they figured out to lower him down there. And you know it's one step after another. But if we look at how difficult it's going to be to get our kids face to face with Jesus, you know, at first we could just give up. But take one step. You know, figure out who's who's one other person that could carry the other side of the stretcher. Who's one other person that I could ask to pray? You know, there's a new book called The Common Rule by a guy named Justin Earley that came out this year or last year, and And he just gives these eight simple practices of kind of connecting with the Lord, like spiritual disciplines. And, um, you know, it's nothing new, but, but they're more doable steps than normal. One is like scripture before screens. And, uh, he just encourages you you to put your phone in a different spot Mm and to, and to pray or read a few verses of scripture before you get up in the morning. Mm -hmm. Just pick one thing as a parent that you're going to do with your child. Maybe it is every Sunday night we're going to read five verses of scripture together and pray. Or maybe it's once a month, like just start somewhere, take a step, be committed to that and do it. I mean, it's, there's there's an app called Couch to 5K that lays out how you move from your couch to being able to run a 5K. Today, you need to walk 20 feet. Tomorrow, you need to walk 40 feet, you know, and then it gives you like, it lays it out. The first step is just taking one step. And And when you try to do it all, you're going to feel like a failure, right. but I would just encourage you to, to take one
1: step, get 1% better every day. And then all of a
0: sudden it's going to be, <laughs> yeah. Or, or just get 1% and, you know, do 1% more for the next year. And, right. then, and then take another step, realize like the last chapter of alongside is called slow because everything that we do. Um, and, and every time we ask God for something, it's always slower than we want. The way of the Lord is a way of patience and he has a purpose and a plan in that. You know, I mean, Jesus spent 30 years before he started his public ministry. I mean, he could have just dove right in, but he did not. He waited for 30 years. You know, it takes at least 10 years for grapes to become mature wine. You mm-hmm. know, the Israelites wondered for 40 years, we want our food delivered to our door now. We want our Amazon packages today, not tomorrow. And that's how we've been wired to to treat the Lord try to unlearn that and to say, I'm going to take a small step and I'm going to do it faithfully over the next year. And that's all I'm going to do, but I'm going to trust that the Lord is going to work in that.
1: Yeah. You shared a story in your book about a young boy that ran away and went to Manhattan, I believe. If, that's is right. that correct?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so, and reading that, and near near the end of the story he is he is found and and which is awesome it made me cry thanks a lot um
0: yeah, thanks for ruining the book for nobody's read it yet i mean come on no, hey it's
1: like in the first couple of okay, I know come i know on. I'm listening, I'm
0: listening. <laughs> and and um
1: but i mean i can't begin to imagine the fear um and the and the hopelessness that those parents um mm. faced and unfortunately in in our youth group we we have had um kids either run off or still aren't around, or we've had parents with teenagers who are just, I mean, every decision has just been super heartbreaking. Um, What would you, I mean, how would you counsel parents in, in those kind of moments? What are, how do you point them to the light of Jesus in those trying times? Yeah.
0: You know, My favorite thing to ever see or hear at a church is someone share their testimony. I love watching baptisms happen, you know, and a lot of churches will do like a video testimony before them. And I think it's so important that we put voices of hope in our lives and that we hear stories that remind us of redemption. A lot of times the best story is the one that we see in the mirror. And we often don't give ourselves a lot of of thought, but think about what God has done in your life and how God has rescued you from so many bad decisions along the way. When I look back over my life, even though I was raised in a God-centered Christian home, you know, I, I've made a lot of really dumb decisions that could have been really hurtful and painful. You know, and I mean, I, I should I should not be where I am, but by the grace of God, I am. I should not be married. You know, like I I have like filled my mind with awful images of women. And I, I, and I look back like at the amount of like pornography that I looked at as a kid. And and then I see like how God has blessed me with sexual intimacy with my wife and how God has blessed me with depth in our marriage. And I'm like, I don't deserve that at all. And yet look at the grace that God has given to me and it's freed me from that now. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful, but it is, um, it is easy to forget. But over and over in scripture, the number one word we see is remember. Remember this, remember this, remember mm. this. And we've got to remember the grace of God in our own lives. We've got to remember the grace of God in other people's lives. So invite people you know who have stories and testimonies of God's power working their life to come eat dinner with your family and tell their story. When's the last time you invited somebody to come over and say, hey, tell your story of how God has rescued you, how mm-hmm. he pulled you from the depths? Kids need to hear that because it gives them hope and it gives us as parents hope that no matter what our kids go through, there is hope that God can rescue anything.
1: Right. Exactly. Um, Well, before we close, I just want to ask, is there anything else um, that you just out of your heart, you just want to share with, with parents?
0: You know, I, if you don't hear anything else today, hear that God delights in you Mm -hmm. and that he wants to be with you and that he likes you, and that when he, when he sees you, he smiles, and he, he just so desperately longs to know your heart, just like you are desperate to know the hearts of your kids and to be close to them. That is exactly how God feels about you. He does not want to leave you alone. He wants to come alongside you, and he is closer than he can possibly be, and closer than we are aware. But know that he is not disappointed in you, but you have a heavenly father who delights in you just as you delight in your kids. Wow,
1: that's awesome. Drew, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real honor. Evan, thanks for
0: having me. God bless you, brother. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for listening to Teens Need Grace. If you would like the show notes, ways to connect with us, or any of the resources Pastor Evan mentioned, please visit us online at Church. Slash podcast. We're trying to get the word out about this podcast. You can help us out by telling your friends, sharing this episode on social media, and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks.